Welcome, my name is Dehadi Lewis. I'm the lead pastor here at Blueprint Church. I'm excited to, to be here and to, to share with you guys. Um, if you've been here for the first time or if you haven't been here for a while, every August we take a pause and we stop and we do a thing that we call DNA. And, and it's in our DNA series where we kind of, we, we re-up on both who we are and what God has called us and who God has called us to be. And so this year we are um, kicking off our DNA series with the, with the theme is Reset, Rediscovering Our Identity, Rediscovering Our, our Identity. And a big part of this is, you know, over these last 16 months, you know, obviously it has been a difficult time for each and every one of us. We've all been in survival mode to some degree. You know, what we thought was going to be three weeks ended up being 16 months. You know, and now even now with, the, with this Delta variant, we're like, okay, Lord, is, is, is it over? You know, and so, but the question becomes is, you know, what is God calling us to be? And who is God calling us um, to be about? And so really we wanted to take this August to spend about five weeks to continue to walk through the book of Ephesians and really just reset, reset our identity, you know, in Christ. Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And when he said, follow me, he was very specific in following him where we were heading. You know, he says, we will become fishers of men. And in the same way at Blueprint Church, we we says, if you want to be a part of our church, if you are a part of, if you are a part of, we welcome you as family, um, and we want to know what, let you know what our family is exactly about. And so, when we do our DNA Sundays, we are here to basically to to do that. This year, basically, we have one singular focus, one singular focus, and that is to shift our collective mindset from a family of members to a family of missionary disciple makers. You know, I think that this is really important for us as a church as we kind of go into this next year is how do we embrace the call to, to shift from simply just being members at a church to being missionary disciple makers as a church. Jesus calls us to go and to make disciples of all nations. And so what we're doing is that last week we started off with this theme reset, with the DNA, we looked at gospel-centered believers. And, you know, and really in the book of Ephesians, that this is a time where the church was going through some, some struggles. And, um, and what Paul does in this time is that he basically lifts up our Lord and our Savior, and he calls the people back to something that's greater than, our, than, than the things that we are called to be about. And so in here, basically, we are looking at this idea of what does it mean for us to be a gospel-centered believer, a responsible sibling, an indigenous disciple-maker, a generous steward, and then ultimately be commissioned to go and to be missionaries into wherever we live, wherever we work, and wherever we play. And so today, if you have your Bibles, open up with me to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses 11 to 22. Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to be looking at 11 to 22. I'm going to read really the, the, the first couple of verses to kind of set us up, and then we'll pick up the rest later. Ephesians chapter 2, 11 through 12 reads this. So then, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called 
the uncircumcised, by those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. At that time, you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants, to the covenants of promise without hope and without God in the world. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for this opportunity to come before you, Lord. And Father, in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of instability, in the midst of um, survival, Lord, we pray, God, that you would ground us, Father, that you would reinforce us in both who we are and what you would call us to be, Lord. I pray, Father God, for those who are in need of your healing hand, God, that you would come in and that you would comfort them, Father, in this time, that you would be with them as your word tells us that you will never leave us, that you will never forsake us, Father, that your presence would would be with them in this time, Lord. And Father, I pray, Lord, for those who are restless and who are tireless, Lord, I pray, God, that you would come and give them a sense of mattering and a, a sense of purpose and a sense of desire, Father God. And Lord, I pray, God, for all of us, Lord, in in this time and in this season, God, that we would find thy will for our lives. Lord, we desire to be conduits of your grace. We desire to be vessels, Father, tools in the hands of the master. So, Father, to you be the glory forever and ever. Father, we love you. We bless you. And we know that these requests are heard by you, not because of our works, but because of your finished work. With Jesus. So, Father, we thank you for this time, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen and amen. All right, so we are, again, in the book of Ephesians, and, you know, a big part of the reason why we do our DNA Sundays each and every time is really to begin to ask the question, um, who are we? Who are we, right? And if you notice, when we talk about this, the idea of our DNA, we ultimately says like our goal is to reinforce our DNA to that in the, in the sense that, that you know exactly where we're going. And so when we talk about it, we basically have these foundational understandings that we believe that the gospel changes people and God uses people to change the world. And so God is trying, is, so we exist as a church to unleash healthy people healthy people, to do ministry where life exists, to do ministry where they live, where you work, and where you play. We define health as people who are growing in the gospel, going in their relationship with God, in the context of family, growing in relationship with other believers while being on mission, right? And so everything that we do as a church is aimed at four specific identities, four specific identities. And that identity is a gospel-centered believer, a responsible sibling, an indigenous disciple maker, and a generous steward. We think that it is so important that you understand that these are our aims and everything that we do is aimed for that purpose is that every year we take four to five weeks and we say, let's rehearse, let's go over it. And, you know, and hopefully, you know, for most of you who have been here for a while, you could have said, oh, I could have gave that speech for it. And I'm said, thank you. That's exactly where we want us to be. You know, and What we're going to do today, and the reason why it's important about our identity is because we recognize a couple of things. You know, and as I was, a couple of things. As I was preparing for this, this message, and as I was preparing for even today, you know, one of the things I started focusing on my identity, and I started thinking about some of the earliest times that I kind of discovered, like, who I was and, you know, are the things, are life-shaping moments, you know, in my life. Every year... 
um, I go to, um, not every year, but every time I go back to New Orleans, basically, I, I always, well, you will always find me if I have time to go to a specific park, Joe Brown Park. It's in New Orleans East. I don't know if you've ever been, but in New Orleans East, in Joe Brown Park, I go there because that was probably my earliest memory of a time where I remember kind of understanding, kind of having this identity. I was, um, you know, uh, the second oldest, I was a middle child, basically, in a family of four. And I don't know if we have any middle children in here, right? Yeah, so for those of us in middle children, you understand this, right? So we have, like, in my family, I had my older brother, and he got attention because he was older, right? And then we had my, um, my younger sister, and she got the attention because she was the youngest, and she was the only girl. And then we had my younger brother, and my younger brother got the attention because he was always sick, you know, and so, and so for me, it was just me. And I was just like, where do I get my identity? Where do I get my attention? Like, where do I find my place in this family? And I remember it was, I was five years old. It was my first tackle football game that I ever played in my life, right? I remember going out there and, and God, you know, gave me a special gift. And after playing, never playing football before in my life, I'm five, six years old playing tackle football. I go out there and I score four touchdowns in my first game. And I never forget my dad after the end of the game coming up to me and says, Dahadi, you have a a God-given talent. Really, we weren't, I wasn't raised in the church, but one of the things I, and it really wasn't about kind of the God-given talent, but the thing that I did was I knew was that like, this is it. This is how I can find my identity. And from that moment, and those life-shaping words ended up shaping my identity. And so for better and for worse, football for the next 18 years or the next 12, a lot of years in my life, for God, football was my God. And everything I did and didn't do was because of sports. It was because I desired it, and everybody knew it. That it was, it was a, those life-shaping words is where I found my identity. And it was in that that I recognized a couple of principles as I engage and as I do ministry that I think is important for you to understand when engaging with people. So here's my three rules that of, of engagement. Number one is, and when it comes to my three rules of engagement, number one is that I believe that people are people. People are people and everyone has a story, right? And one of the things that's important for us to know when we talk about people are people and everyone has a story, I remember kind of going in and we were living in a neighborhood that our our kids were kind of like, oh, dad, I don't want to get outside. I don't want to go. And he was just like, and I I remember telling them, like, this is something that I repeat to them. I said, you know, kids, they were young, really young. And they were like, I said, people are people and everyone has a story, you know? And so we recognize is that we got to treat people with the Imago Dei and and with the dignity that God has bestowed on every individual. The second thing that I recognize and through my time is that um, everybody has a need to both belong and to matter. And when we recognize that people are people and everybody has a story, and then we recognize the second thing is that people have a need to both belong and to matter. And that need to belong and matter basically is the thing that shapes their need and their identity. Because it's once we find that sense of belonging, once we find that sense of mattering within a context, we will do what it takes to fit in. We will do what it takes to be accepted. 
And then finally, when we recognize that people are people, everybody has a story, and, that, and the fact that people have a need to belong and matter, the last thing that I recognize is that when we recognize that our people, people's identity drive their activity. Who you are and who you believe you are will shape what you become and how you think and how you act. It's all about identity. And so this is why every year when we talk about kind of our aims, we are aiming at not at tasks, not at functions, not at things. We are aiming at identities, the identity of embracing what does it mean to be a gospel-centered believer? What does it mean to grow in our relationship with God? What does it mean to be a responsible sibling? What does it mean to be an indigenous disciple? And what does it mean to be a generous steward? And so these are the things that I think is important for us as we engage. And I think that this, these are the things that were important to Paul as he recognized. Last week, Derwin basically here gave us an understanding. He looked at Ephesians chapter 2, 8 through 10. And he basically showed us, you said, we talk about we are saved by grace. That is a gift of God, not of work, so that no man could boast. And then it goes and it says, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And so in here, basically, Paul recognizes this. And, as, and before he goes in, because if you look at chapters 1 and chapter 2, there's not much of a command that is given to the saints in the church of Ephesus. But to sit and to listen to understand who God is. And when we talk about understanding the scriptures from an identity base, there's four questions that I think is important for you to constantly ask when you look at the scriptures. Number one, you always ask the question is, who is God in the text? The second thing you want to ask is, what is he doing? Then we want to say, who are we in the text? And what is God calling us to do is the fourth one. Who is God? What is he doing who are we and what are we called to do? You see, in that we recognize, we first start with the character of who God is. And then it leads to what God does. He does what he does because of who he is. But then after we understand who he is, and then we recognize both who we are and what God is called and God is calling us to be. So today, really, I'm going to go quickly and I'll have three points. Three points. And the point is simple. We've broken up to three parts with one simple command. The three parts and one simple command. The first one is simply we got to remember who we were without Christ. The second one is we got to remember who Christ is and what he's doing. And then the third one is we have to remember who we are with Christ. Who we are without Christ, who is God and what is he who is Christ and what is he doing? And remember who we are with Christ. So we pick up in Ephesians chapter 2 and 11. And the first thing is basically Paul is recognizing who we are without Christ. Who we are without Christ. And he starts off the message and basically says, So then, so then. Remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcised by those called the uncircumcised, which is done by those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human 
hands. In that time, you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners and to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. There's a couple of words that I want you to circle right there. If you have your Bible or if you're taking notes, basically the first word is I want you to, to circle remember. Remember, because as we go through, this is the first command. This is the first imperative that we get in the book of Ephesians. It's the first thing God is calling us to do is remember. He's calling us to remember. And as we go through 11 all the way through 22, he is not going to give us another command. But the command that he's calling us to, remember, to do is to remember. Remember who we were. Remember what Christ has done. And remember who we are with Christ. That this idea, remember. So circle that word. It's important. It's not meant to be missed. It's an imperative that we have. The second word that I want us to circle is the word without. Without. Because in this first session, or on this first section, basically that's the key word that Paul keeps highlighting for us. He basically he tells us that we, at, in verse 12, at that time you were without Christ. You were without Christ. And, and so in here, basically he begins to lay this foundation of what it looks like for us to be without Christ. And he's basically saying, remember how bad it is. Remember how bad it was when you were without Christ. You see, in here, that we refresh off of Ephesians chapter 2 and 10, when he makes this declaration, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. But then it says, but so then remember but even though there's this thing that we are joint heirs, co-heirs with Christ, that God has called us to co-labor with him, there is a reality that we must understand and we must embrace um, as we are walking with Christ. And he says that if we recognize this, is that there's a couple of things that come. At that time, verse 12, you were without Christ. And then it says, you were Excluded are, another, some translations were, without citizenship. You were without certainty of a covenant promise. You were without confidence because you were without hope. You were without God in this world. You see, right here, Paul is trying to say, I want you to remember what life was like without God. You see, because it's in these moments and in these times that we think that we can pull ourselves together. We can kind of pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and we can kind of do what we're, what we're supposed to do. That we can kind of figure it out on our own. And here we have God says, I need you to remember that without God, what Luke chapter 137 says, you can do nothing. And he says, without God. What's interesting about this is that this is the only time in all of the New Testament that the word atheos is mentioned. Atheos. This is the only time in the New Testament. And it's where we get the word atheist. He says, you are without. You see, but right here, he's not talking about atheists in the way that we talk about atheists. That like, but he's talking about, like, I actually, they actually believe in God, but they're not putting their trust in God. They actually had many gods. 
and they didn't have their trust because the, the, the places that they put their trust in weren't God. And so Paul says, let's call a spade a spade. You without Christ is you without God. And so we see and we recognize what he is saying here, that it is a simple thing that we are simply to look at this and we are to grieve. Believers, do we grieve at the person that has been depicted for us in verse 11 through 13? Does that make our hearts cry out that there are people who are having to struggle to go through a pandemic, to go through racial tensions, to go through losing jobs, to go through losing loved ones, to go through their fear, to go through all these things without God, without certainty, without confidence. That we are, Paul is saying that we are meant to grieve. Why? Because he says that these people are far from God. They're far from God. You see, but what I love is in verse 13 is that he then comes in and and like Paul always does, that he comes in with that but God movement. And if you recognize in verse 12, in verse verse 11, remember he's talking, he's being very time sensitive and he's focusing in on our time. In verse 10, remember at that time, at one time, verse 12, at that time, now, verse 13, but now. There was a certain reality that we used to have, but there is a present reality that we currently have. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So he says, I want you to remember who you were then, your identity that you were then, and I want you to remember the things that you did back then. If you don't remember, just go back to Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 5. He says, we were dead in our trespasses. We did what we wanted to do. We were living our best life. We were all of those things, and we were separated from God. But then again, that next, but God in 1, 4, or 2, 4, but God. It says, but God, he raised us. He saved us. He and in that, in, with the blood of Jesus, because of the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior, he said where you were far from God, you have now been made near to God. And it's in that we are to understand that now we have access. We have access to God. We have the ability to cry out. Last week I talked about this idea of the bag lady in San Francisco. The the bag lady in San Francisco or the trash lady in San Francisco, basically she died the life of a a pauper, of a poor woman. She She died the life of a filthy woman. When the people went in after she passed away in her home, she was, she had agoraphobia. And when she went in, um, the people went in, there was trash everywhere. But upon further inspection, the trash wasn't normal trash. The trash was actually deeds to property and to land and different things. And and all this crumbled up stuff was actually a lot of wealth. And for most of her life, she lived as a pauper, even though she had riches at access in her hands. And this is what many of us as believers, 
is how we live our lives. We live our lives as if we're spiritually popper, spiritual poppers. We're broken. We're broke. But he says, no, the blood of Jesus. But now, you now have access. You have been brought near to God. And now where you didn't have citizenship, you now have citizenship. You have a sense of belonging. Where you didn't have certainty, you now have certainty. You have a promise. Where you didn't have confidence, you now have confidence. I hope that's laid up in heaven. Where you didn't have Christ, you now have Christ. You see, the thing is, is that when we take advantage of our access to God's blessings in Christ, we find our collective identity and then a sense of responsibility for one another as a family. But it's not until we understand both who we are and who Christ has made us. So he calls us to remember. Why does he call us to remember specifically who Christ is? And he picks this up and he says, we need to remember who God is and what he is doing. You see, all the way from the beginning and what we've been doing over these these last five weeks, we have been trying to show you exactly what what Paul was trying to do. So really, all the way from Ephesians chapter 1 to to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, basically, or really throughout chapter 2, Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 2 is Paul just simply laying out who God is. And we see that God is our Father who has chosen us and adopted us. God is, God is our elder brother. He is our son, or, or he is God's son. Jesus is God's son, and he's redeemed us, and he's united us. God, the Holy Spirit, is the one who seals us and guarantees us. You see, Paul is so excited about this is that if you go back and again, if you look at Ephesians chapter 1, we put sentence, sentences and dots and, and question marks and um Exclamation marks. But if you go back in the original Greek, it's one, Ephesians chapter one is one run, one long run on sentence. Paul is just getting it out. He's just, he's just gushing with it all. Wanting us to get it. And it's like he say, he recognizes they're not going to get it. So let me just pray. And then he goes into his spontaneous prayer in chapter Verse 15 through 19, he says, I pray that their eyes would be enlightened, that they, and they would understand the hope and the riches and, the, and the, the power. I hope that you would get in there so much that Paul wants us to get. But then he breaks it down. And he says, listen, even though there's so much that I know you're not going to get, because if you understood the riches at our fingertips, you would be up praising God. You would be up celebrating. You wouldn't be concerned about a pandemic. You wouldn't be concerned about all these things if we just understood the riches that we had with Christ. He says, you see, but you don't get it. He says, I'm going to pray that God would open your eyes so that you may get it. He says, but however, if you don't get anything, get this. Even when you are sleeping at the wheel, even when you are unable to respond to your current crisis, God is still working. And this is why he says, you were dead. You were dead in your trespasses. You were dead in your sins. You could not respond 
to God, even if you wanted to. And he gets us clear. And so, and this is what he burst out in chapter 210. He says, let's just make it clear. Let me make it really plain. We are his workmanship. We are his workmanship. God is active and he's calling us to remember and to reflect of who God is. And it's like, and then after he says we are his workmanship, he says in Christ Jesus. That in there we recognize that all of these things that God has poured out every spiritual blessing in Christ. But then he says that we have been created in Christ Jesus, but then he ends and he says for good works. He then calls us to join him in his good works. He calls us to give up our side hustles and come join a work that is beautiful, a work that is a masterpiece, a work that is God's. Come join us. But it's like He's like before, because in chapter 3 and 4, where we're going to see next week, he's going to tell us specifically what that work ought to be or what that work ought to look like. It's like, let me just take a pause because I haven't finished pouring out all the blessings that God has been giving. He said, I got more. I got, I got more to say. I got more that I have to give to, give to you. And so after recognizing that he's chosen us, he's adopted us, he's redeemed us, he's revealed his son to us, he's revealed his purposes to us, he's given us an inheritance, he's given us security, he's basically, he saved us. He then says, I got one more, because we are his workmanship. He says he also makes peace with us. You see, Romans 5 and 8 says, God demonstrates his love towards us while we were enemies. Christ redeemed us, that he has made peace with us. But then he goes on to say, and we recognize this idea of like that we can see ourselves as sons and daughters, but the problem is, is that sometimes we don't see ourselves as brothers and sisters. We kind of go into our own kind of caves and enclaves and, and do it like when we said, like, I, I, you know, I got to be about me first. But he basically says, listen, he's worked on this relationship that we have vertically. And now he says in chapter 2, he said through 11, he says, let me kind of understand and let me let you know what this masterpiece looks like. And he says this masterpiece, this work that God has done is that he's torn down the dividing wall between the two most hated groups, Jew and Gentile. He's torn it down. He's made us one. He has given us peace. And this is where we pick up in verse 14. He says, for he is our peace who made both groups one, tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh, he nullified the law consisting of commandments expressed in regulation so that he might create himself, what? One new man from the two, resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. Verse 17, he came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Just in case you missed it, verses 14 through 
18 tells us that this is what we are to see when we look at Christ, when we are to look at his workmanship, that he made two groups one. He tore down the dividing wall of hostility. He nullified the law. He created one new person, one new man out of two. He reconciled these groups to God in one body. He proclaimed the good news to those far and those near. He has given access both to Jew and to Gentile alike. He tells us to look at Christ, to focus on him, to be reminded of what he has done. And so when we talk about this idea is that if we were to put it in kind of blueprint terms, that the first couple of chapters, we would say the church is not like family, but the church is family, in which God is our father. Jesus is our elder brother. God is our father. Jesus is our elder brother. And we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And so in the first chapter and a half, he says, God is our father and Jesus is our elder brother. We are his workmanship. He's brought us together. And then the second, he says, you don't get saved just to be with God. You get saved to be a part of his family. And when you are a part of his family, that means we got to be with one another. We got to encourage one another. We got to do the one another's. Because it's God. You know, what I love about this is that in the, like he doesn't say in here, that he makes a black man white or a white man black or a male a female or a female a man. He doesn't say that you have your, your choice. It's not gender fluidity. It's not ethnic fluidity. fluidity. It's not any of those things. He said, no, we are still distinct. They're still Jew and they're still Gentile, but there's something that, that Christ does. That he takes the Jew and he takes the Gentile, he takes the, the people, and somehow God, in his masterpiece, he makes people who can't get along in the world, somehow they get along in the church. And it's because of the person and work of Christ. We are his workmanship. We are his masterpiece. And saints, my, my prayer is, is that we don't spend all of our time tearing down with, or building back up what Christ has torn down. Christ has torn down the dividing wall. Don't spend our times building it up. There's a narrative that are going, that's going on right now that says the multi-ethnic church is impossible. And what I would say is that you are denying the power of the gospel. Doesn't mean it's not going to be hard. It doesn't mean that the Jews and Gentiles, we see the whole book of Acts addressing that tension. We see the book of Galatians. We see the Romans. We see all throughout of addressing this tension between Jews and Gentiles. But he constantly comes back is that if you don't believe that this is possible, there's somewhere you're not believing the gospel. So let me re-preach the gospel. To you. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 1. Do you know that he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens, in Christ Jesus? Do you know that God has chosen us and he has adopted us, that he's redeemed us and he's saved us? Do you know that he has sealed us and guaranteed us? Do you know that he has backed up the truck of blessings to us? 
Do you not know? He is our access. It's through the blood. And, that's, and it's then and only then that we get a true picture of the church. Finally, we remember who we are. And it's like, it's like, all right, do we have it? Do we remember who we are in Christ? In verse 19 and 20 through 22, he says, so then. Remember earlier he said you were foreigners and strangers. Now he says you are no longer foreigners. You are no longer strangers but you are now fellow citizens with the saints. You are fellow citizens with the saints. You are members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles, the prophets, without Jesus Christ, without Christ, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. Verse 21, we pick up that language that we started off in first in chapter one when it talks about being a gospel-centered believer, that leads us to being responsible siblings. Verse 21, it says this, in him, in him, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the spirit. What I love about this is that we don't do anything to be, to pull ourselves up to be in him. It's our responsibility. It's one simple call. And you know what it is? Remember, Ephesians 2 and 11 is the only imperative for us as believers. We are to remember God's work in our lives and that he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ever hoped and imagined. You see, but the problem is, is do we really believe him? Do we really remember him? So the question is, is how do we remember And these are the things that you as believers, regardless if you are online or if you are here coming to church, you have to do those disciplines to constantly remind yourself to remember. We got to understand that spiritual disciplines are spiritual disciplines, not to show that we're strong. We don't say I spent time with the Lord today to to, to brag that I'm strong. We spend our spiritual disciplines actually as, as an admission that we're weak. We give of our first fruits of our time. When we wake up and we go before the Lord, we don't do that to say that we are strong. We do that to remind us, Lord, that not just the first 10% of my time is yours. We do that to remind us that all of our day is yours. We don't spend our, our, give the first fruit of our finances to say, I'm good, God. Now I got to give the other 90% and do whatever I want to do. No, we give the first 10% to remind us, not, not just 10% of it's yours, but all of this is yours. So help us that we give of our talents. We give of our time, our talent, and our treasure, and we discipline ourselves in ways so that we can remember why. Because the bottom line, and if you are like me, you love, I love me some me. My favorite subject is me. And I'm constantly thinking about what I need. And This is why the Bible tells us that we are to discipline ourselves, to remind that there's to take my eyes off of me and to put my eyes on him and to remember his work that he's done in the cross. You see, this passage is is about identity. He's telling us to look at God, who he is and what he's done, so that now we can properly look at ourselves, who we are and what he's calling us to do. 
You see, every week, I pray that as we come in here and as we talk about that, these are not just statements that the gospel, gospel-centered believers and responsible siblings, that we're, we're family. That these are not just statements, but these are realities that the gospel has done for us. That where God is our father, Jesus is our elder brother, and we are brothers and sisters in Christ because we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So as God calls us over these next few weeks to get off the couch and give us something to do, to be his missionaries, my prayer is that we would take a hard look and a consistent look and remember who he is. Father, let's, let's pray. Father, we're thankful for the grace that you've given us in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Father God, for many, many times, Father, we have fallen short of your grace. We have fallen short of your love. We have fallen short to even remember all of that, who you are and what you have done. Father, so help us to remember, help us to discipline ourselves, to be remind ourselves what life was without you so that we may look to you and that we may live a life with you. And Father, regardless of what these next few months, wherever they take us, Lord, none of it changes who we are. None of it changes who you are. And so, Father, we pray, Lord, that we would have a supernatural dependence on the person and work of your son, Jesus. Father, we love you, we bless you, and we give you all the praise, honor, and glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information about Blueprint Church, visit us online at blueprintchurch.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Blueprint Church. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday.